Hi everyone, welcome to the MBA show, a GMAT Club podcast where we talk about all the things related to MBA. My name is Nikhil and I'm the director of MBA forums here at GMAT Club. Recently, GMAT has announced changes to the GMAT exam and a new version of the exam called GMAT Focus Edition. Some of the key changes include removal of AWA section, reducing exam time to 2 hours 15 minutes, an option to review and change answers of certain questions, etc. As there is a great deal of confusion about these changes, we decided to have a panel talk about these topics and get your queries addressed by the experts. Fernando will be the host for this session. Fernando was one of the PM interns here at GMAT Club and is now at Darden for his MBA. Over to you, Fernando. Hello, everyone. It's great to have you here with us. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are. And today we are here to discuss the GMAT Focus Edition, such a fancy name for the new version of the GMAT. So please feel free to uh, just send your questions here in the chat if you guys have any. And today to discuss that, we have here some of our main experts for GMAT Club. I remember that they were all kind of gods to me when I was taking the GMAT myself. I was, oh my God. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do some brief introductions ourselves here. So my name is Fernando. I'm the moderator here today. Uh, I'm originally from Brazil. Before coming to my MBA, I was a lawyer by training, had the pleasure to work as a product manager intern at the GMAT Club. Awesome opportunity. And after taking the GMAT, sometimes uh, I was able to reach a good score and got admitted in four top 15 business schools here in the US. And now I'm my first year here at UVA Darden. Love the experience. And in the upcoming summer, I'm going to be going to McKinsey. So if I can help any of you guys, I'm all ears. Uh, if you guys want to move forward, uh, the one I have right by my side here is Maria. So if you want to do a brief introduction as well, Maria. Hi, guys. My name is Maria. And as you might note, I am not, in fact, a test prep expert. Uh, but I am here to share what I think from an admissions strategy perspective this new test might mean. And I am also happy just to learn from Stacy and Charles, our resident GMAT experts, what they what the tea leaves are saying for them. Uh, Stacy, if you want to go on. I'm Stacy Coprens. I'm the director of content and curriculum with Manhattan Prep, which basically means we uh, make our books and our, our classroom materials and everything that our students study from. Um, and I'm really excited uh, to talk about this topic today. It's been a while since we've had a big test change. And, you know, the, the we work in test prep because we like this stuff. I know students aren't super happy when there are test changes, but there are some good ones coming now. So I'm excited. Amazing. And finally, Charles, feel free. Yeah, my name is Charles Bibelos. I've been I've run a little company called GMAT Ninja, and I've been tutoring and teaching GMAT for more than 20 years now, which makes me feel old. Um, and yeah, I watched a lot of students getting tortured over the years, and I'm actually really excited about these changes because I, if you're a test taker, even if you've been studying for a while, you're brand new to the test, doesn't really matter. You should be celebrating. This is great. You're going to have two different versions of the test and probably a whole lot less effort and pain. So th these are great things that I think GMAT's doing. So if you're stressed out watching this, smile. This is This is going to be good for you. Awesome. So let's go into our main questions here. And I have been seeing some comments and guys, 
I'm also excited about this is not confirmed yet, but if the GMAT indeed does not have geometry anymore, oh my God, that's going to be so amazing. But anyway, <laughs> before going into that, uh, something that we have been questioned a lot is about timeline because we don't have an exact date about when the GMAT Focus Edition is going to be live. So one of the questions that I would like you guys to touch in is, should people take the GMAT now if they have been preparing for the past few months? Should they wait until the GMAT Focus Edition? Should they keep studying or not? What would be your main thoughts into that? Don't torture yourself. If you're if you're ready to take the test, if you've been studying and you feel like you're in good shape, get in there. Just do it. Don't don't let this throw off your prep. Don't let this change anything at all. Keep in mind that we don't know exactly the timeline yet, but it looks like the the old version and the new version will both ex coexist for a little while. Um, so if you've been prepping for the the current version, you don't really want to sit there in limbo. Who knows when it's going to get rolled out? The rumors are fall. Some of the rumors are it's going to be earlier. We don't know. If you're ready to take the test, go take the test. If you're a month or two away, keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about it. We know that we're going to have the existing version until early 2024. So you've got lots of time. If you're ready to take the test, take the test. Do not let this throw you off because if you're making great progress, embrace it. Go take it. You'll be fine. I 100% agree. I'm actually teaching a class right now where our last class session is in three days. <laughs> so my students are like, wait, what does this mean? And what I've been telling them is exactly what Charles just said. Move forward with your plans. This exam is going to be around long enough for you to get the score that you need to apply this fall. It's not a problem. Um, this is essentially a bonus because if you don't get the score that you want on the old version, then by the time the new version launches, you've got an option of something else to try. And I would be surprised, anything could happen, but I would be surprised if the new exam is live before the second half of this year, because they're going to need to release prep materials. We know the OG is possibly almost here, except now it's been pulled, so who knows exactly when that's going to get published. But the bigger thing is they need to release their own practice tests. And they need to give people at least a couple of months to study from the materials before they go take the real test. So we've got a little bit of time before this new test launches. They're also going to need time to educate the admissions officers themselves about this new test, right? Because they're the, the admissions officers are the ultimate uh, consumers of this information. Well, maybe the rankings. One could argue that U.S. News is the ultimate consumer of this information. But, you know, the admissions officers themselves are going to have to be you know, educated about what does this new test mean. Um, so I agree with you guys. If you're if you're watching this and you're already studying for the GMAT, um, don't stop what you're doing. Especially if you're aiming for round one of this year. You know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the the GMAT prep. I know that right now that's the big the big thing on everyone's mind. But once you're done with the GMAT there's still a whole lot of other stuff you got to do to apply. Uh, and so the sooner you get that GMAT out of the way, especially if you're aiming for round one, right? We're recording this right now in March. Round one deadlines are usually in September. You know, get it out of the way instead of being in limbo on the test. And then what if they do release the new test and you're scrambling to do that and write your essays and get your recommendations all at the same time? It's going to be a big mess. So keep doing what you're doing um, and just, you know, power through because there's, there's more that awaits you after you're done with the GMAT. Yeah, and I echo all of that. Like we were saying, uh, after the GMAT, you are yet to prepare all your applications, to work on your essays, to do some networking with schools. So the sooner you can get the GMAT out of your way, the better. I remember the sensation of doing that, and it felt great. And even Pooja asked that question here in the chat that you guys touched it. Uh, how Edcons consider these changes? And I can say being 
currently at Darden Puja that people still don't know how to consider those changes because we still do not really know how the new scale is going to be, if there is going to be a new scale of scoring. So we are all in the limbo right now and we will have to wait to see what those changes uh, will cause in terms of admissions of average scoring and everything. So, oh, do you know if you guys want to add something? Yeah, I'd love to throw in that it's, it's probably, um, you know, what we've seen over the years with the GRE and the EA is that when there's a different score on a different scale, this gives you more options as a test taker, that's good. But I would also argue that that if if there is a new scale with the new GMAT Focus Edition, it's going to be a perfectly good thing for you as a test taker because it's going to take a while for admissions committees to figure out how to interpret it, as Maria said. Now, where that's a good thing is that over the years, we've kind of built up the GMAT to be this whole thing, and, and everyone has really kind of strong anchor points to what scores mean. Okay, 700 was this really key threshold for decades. Then the rankings came in, and we're looking at, oh... Kellogg's average is a 737, so I have to get a 740 plus. We have these really, really strong anchor points, and they they are huge psychologically for admissions officers, for test takers, for everybody. And as soon as there's a different scale with different numbers on it, now all of a sudden that goes away. So one of the things we've seen over the years, part of why GRE's grad market share from GMAT is it's a different score scale. And I think it's given admissions committees the freedom to say, hey, we've we've got a candidate here, and maybe they scored above a 160 on both sections of the GRE, probably good enough. Now let's focus on other parts of their application. Mm -hmm. You see the same sort of effect with the EA that's on a scale of 130 to 170. Now, we don't know if they're going to change the score scale here. But if they do, I think as admissions officers are figuring it out, or even if it is the same score scale as they're figuring it out, I think there's going to be, it's going to make it a lot easier for admissions officers to kind of drop the obsession with 740s and 750s and 700s, look at you more holistically. So this is part of why I'm really bullish on this for applicants and test takers is if they do remove the score scale or as admissions committees are figuring it out, yeah, they're going to go, I think that's okay. Focus on everything else about your application. So that should reduce your stress levels, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Agreed that we'll have a, a few years leeway if they change the score scale. We'll have a few years of uh, of niceness, I'll call it, in terms of how this is used in admissions. And the other thing I'll just mention, because I'm seeing a lot of stress going on in the in the comments, if you haven't started studying yet or you're early enough in your studies that you're wondering whether later this year you should take the old exam or the new exam and what should you do now, there's enough intelligence, although we don't know everything yet about the new exam, there's enough for you to start studying the things that are on both exams. Uh, the two quant question types, it looks like, are going to remain the same. We, it looks like, it looks like we're not going to have geometry, and there may be some other con uh, content areas that are also removed. But you're going to have statistics, you're going to have story problems, you're going to have fractions and decimals and percents and ratios. There's some core content that we know is going to stay, so you can start to study that stuff. Start to study critical reasoning and reading comp on the verbal section, and then you can see in another few weeks or a month or however long it takes them to release more official information uh what's actually going to be fully on the test yeah those are all great oh sorry maria go ahead i i was just going to say i think that i think that you guys everyone's intuition about the difference in this the scoring scale is probably going to be right because i do think that there have there's been decades now of us immediately you look at a gmat score and you're like what 680 and that immediately comes with all this psychological baggage um and i think one of the reasons the gre has been able to take so much market share is because it doesn't you sort of look at it and you're like okay 162 like is that 
I guess that's kind of good. Uh, I, I, you know, you you don't have quite that intuition for it. Um, and in fact, the the data actually proves that taking the GRE is uh, better. I've I've got a blog post about how if you look at the average GMAT scores at the top schools report, and then you look at the average GRE scores, you know, let's say for Stanford, your GMAT score has to be in the top sort of three percent of test takers, ninety seventh percentile. But for the GRE, it's a lot more forgiving. It's like in the upper eighty percent. So let's say you have to be in the top fifteen percent of GRE test takers. So even the data, like the schools reporting themselves, um, they don't highlight this, but it is easier, quote unquote. Uh, and then the other, this is my completely unscientific take on this, but I think the fact that the GMAT score, it goes up by increments of 10, it's, you look at something like a 740 versus a 770 and you think, wow, that's it's 30 points difference. It's such a huge difference, but really it's less, like, it's pretty much like a one percentile difference. It's essentially negligible, but in terms of the GRE, you go from 161 to 162 to 163. Those are much bigger jumps in terms of the percentiles. So I also think that there's, if anyone from GMAC is listening and would like to hire me to consult to them, everyone on this panel is available for hiring. Um, but I do think that they should that they should have it on a lower scale so that those increment those bump ups and increments don't seem so like wow it's because it really isn't like after what is it 760 to 800 it's all 99th percentile. So it sounds like a big difference, but your 99.2 percentile versus 99.8 percentile like it's not quite it's not quite as big of a difference as the raw score difference makes it seem yeah and that's very interesting when we can draw these conclusions based on real data from schools from the tests themselves and before going to the next point i would just like to piggyback on what stacy said and i remember everyone that i started studying for the gmat in august 2022 to come to the mba in august sorry August 2020 to come to the MBA in August 2022. And if you were questioning yourself whether you should start studying now or continue to study now, I remember that when I got here to Darden, something I did was looking back and being glad that I had started back in August 2020. Because if I had not, if I had said, oh, we are doing COVID, you know, maybe I'm going to wait, maybe I'm going to wait another year. I would probably not be here today. So what you decide to do now is going to directly impact your results in one, two years. That seems like a long time, but it's not. And the experience, once again, is definitely worth it. So going to the next topic that a lot of people are asking about is timing. So the information we have is that we are going to go from three hours and seven minutes current GMAT exam to two hours and 15 minutes. So almost one hour less. And the GMAT focus edition will allow candidates to change up to three quest, three answers per section. So guys, do you think that's really gonna be helpful to candidates? And to answer a question that's popping up a lot in our chat, will it make the GMAT easier? I don't know that I would say easier exactly. It, it the the reduction time is good. Like why spend more time in that test center or or tether to your computer than you need to? So it's a good thing. I mean, it's definitely a friendly change for test takers. Here's the thing though, is that right now you could argue that integrated reasoning and AWA have very little to do with your admission stances. They're not part of your composite score. So if you start with verbal or quant on the current version of the GMAT, really you've got two hours and you know 
10 minutes, seven minutes, technically, that really matter. Um, now, I think what they're about to do is integrated reasoning, or they're calling it data insights, verbal and quant. So your full two hours and 15 minutes of testing time, I think it's all going to go in your composite score. Again, not confirmed yet. So it's kind of the same amount of testing time that really matters. So in that sense, I don't, I don't think that's too big of a deal. Um, it's nice. Like I'd rather not spend that hour in the testing room doing things that don't matter, but I don't think it really changes the amount of stamina you need to get a score that you're going to be happy with. I agree in terms of stamina or length of time. The other question about the easier would be around either the content that's being tested or around this idea that you can change some of your answers. Um, in a weird way, I'm actually get some of my colleagues were like, well, if you can only change three, that just adds a different kind of anxiety. Um, and and yes, having a limit adds a certain amount of anxiety, but also I don't want my student, like on the GRE, you can change anything. And then that is a certain level of anxiety as well. You can't take a test, answer all the questions and then go back and change all your answers. That would be a terrible way to take the test. So I'm actually glad that they put a limit on it just because it forces us to really have to think, okay, do I really wanna do this? Is this worth my time right now? Um, it's still going to be a time limited test. There's still going to be time pressure, just like there is on all of these tests. I think the big uh, potentially feeling easier kind of thing might come around the pool of content. So there's going to be a narrower pool of content, at least on the math side, it, it sounds like. Um, first of all, that's just there's less for you to remember and less for you to have to master going in. And so that in that sense, that's easier. Uh, the difficulty level of individual questions, presumably we will still have the full range of that difficulty. So you could have an easier test or a harder test, um, depending on exactly how it works and what you earn during the test. Um, I think it's going to be easier to prepare for. It's going to take less time and effort to prepare for simply because of the reduction in content. And considering that candidates will be able to change three answers per section, do you guys think that will impact the, how can we say that, how adaptive the GMAT is because yeah so this is how does this work so there are two broad ways that adaptive testing works there's the current method of the GMAT which is called CAD or computer adaptive testing it's a question adaptive algorithm you've also got uh, what the EA and the GRER which is an MST so you've got basically a multi-source you've got multiple panels that you're doing within one panel it's not adaptive but once they score that panel and give you another panel, then that's adapting based on how you did on the first panel. I'm extremely curious to see what the new thing is, because from what they've described, it certainly sounds like it is still question adaptive. They're not describing it in a way that would be consistent with a panel approach. And yet the whole point of question adaptive is that you can't change your answers because it's adapting based on what you've already done. It's, it, it almost sounds like they might be inventing a new algorithm here. So I, I will be very, very curious to see how it works. Which would explain the limits, I think, Stacey, if they are doing question level yes. adaptive, and then they say you can change a question, and right. then the test will adapt after that change. It's possible they're doing that. That's that, that sounds messy. I My assumption was they're making it like the A, and it's it's uh, section level adaptive. But If that's right. the case, though, then within one panel, you should be able to change, change answers anything. within that panal. So yeah. Something's yep. Something new is happening. So, something interesting is happening. Is yeah. Yep. So moving forward, oh, just before doing that, Guys, if you are liking it, if you could please hit like on this video and subscribe to our channel, that's very helpful. Thank you so much. And please feel free to add suggestions of new panels you want us to bring to you. It's always a pleasure to help you all. And going to the next question, 
So we do know for sure that AWA is going to be out of the test. Our dear AWA session being, you know, uh, like I said, a lawyer by training, I'm very sad about that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we don't yet are sure that sentence correction, for example, is also going to go away. Some people were talking about that in the comments. But what do you guys think that will be the impact of removing these verbal aspects from the test? Because in an era where, like we were saying before, a lot of people are using chat GPT, will that cause a negative impact to test takers in the future? Because maybe they won't have such an ability to write in English or to business schools themselves. Overall, how do you guys think that we will reflect? I think kind of taking a long, long-term view of all this that, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, everyone was freaking out about, oh, business leaders don't have the ability, they're bad writers, they're bad writers, let's do something about it. Um, and you could apply that to all sorts of fields, right? They added a writing assessment, all sorts of standardized tests, you know, it looks very much like the AWA because there was kind of this collective freak out in higher education about, oh, we're getting so many bad writers. So they introduced these essay tasks and how much did it really help that, the help you identify who was qualified to be there? Didn't really do a whole lot. The validity studies for the most part in AWA basically saying, is this worth including? They were never all that strong. Depends on which study you're looking at. But um, it's not shocking that you know, GMAC and and kind of by extension, business schools have said, you know, this isn't super important to us, hasn't been important in admissions for, for a long time, for the most part. Is it possible that we're about to enter a world where we have no essays on these tests, another decade or two goes by, or even five years, and then schools realize, oh, wow, we're getting a bunch of applicants that really are far worse at writing than they were decades ago, because they're all using chat GPT to do their homework in undergrad. And then we freak out again and reintroduce the essay. Very possible, but we're not quite there yet. I, I think that that's totally on the table. Uh, Ten years, I wouldn't be shocked. But for now, I think it has. I think it's just you get half an hour of your time back. That's wonderful. I don't think anybody is sad about this going away. I can't imagine who would be. I think schools are like, great. We never looked at it anyway. I'd agree with that. I will also caution anyone who is thinking about having ChatGPT write an essay for you that there are there are already software programs that can tell whether something has been written by ChatGPT. So please do not do that. ChatGPT will not write a better admissions essay for you than you will write yourself because you will actually write about yourself and it will be a better essay. So yeah. please use Applicant Lab instead. It's so much better. Thanks. <laughs> I'll Venmo you the the twenty bucks uh, later. Um, no, but honestly, like I I think in terms of if I had to read the admissions tea leaves, I, I think we've seen a lot of schools recently and rightfully shifting more to video interviews. So, for example, uh, automated video interviews where you get you know your a, a question appears and you get thirty seconds to think about it and sixty seconds to respond. I think I have always said that I think schools should do that anyway because it's a much much more accurate assessment of what someone's communication skills are versus an essay that they might have spent a week on or they might have spent a year on and you have no idea. Maybe they paid 40 different editors to edit it um, versus a video where it's you and it has to be you communicating on the spot, which is really what is a far more, you know, there are very few instances in life where we get like months and months to write something that then we share with with others as much as I wish that were the case. Uh, so so I think that what's going to happen in terms of admissions is that I, I think that this shift towards the video assessments uh, is going to become more pronounced. 
Yeah, and as Maria mentioned, uh, I can give real life examples here in Darden that we have the case method. So when you get code called at an 8 a.m. class about, let's say, ops, about accounting, oh my God. <laughs> Like you really have no time to go to research to ask ChatGPT. So in business, your uh, improvisation skills, your quick rationale is gonna be always tested. So be mindful of that, everyone. Otherwise, we can just become, let's say, addicted to ChatGPT. And when someone asks you to write something yourself you won't be able to do it i always see i always mention it's like the impact of ways of google maps i have used so much those apps that currently i can't go like i can't navigate charlottesville without a gps it's a very small city guys so <laughs> um anyway moving forward a lot of people uh, are asking here about the date when that's gonna, when the GMAT Focus Edition is gonna kick off. We talked a little bit about that in the beginning of the session. So it's expected to be made available by late 2023. So let's say Q3, Q4 this year. Do you guys have something to add onto that, Charles, Stacey, Maria? I'd be surprised if it was before Q3, which would start in July, and I wouldn't be surprised if it were Q4. Yeah, agreed. I, th I think they got plenty to bang out as, as far as uh, they're going to plenty of wrinkles and plenty of potholes that they gotta they gotta work on. So, I, I think Stacy might be right. I wouldn't be shocked if the rollout's slower than we expect. And even again, from the, from like kind of like the admissions round one versus round two, it would be kind of strange if it weren't available for round one applicants, but then they suddenly launch it and now it is available for round two applicants. And so then, you know, are people going to then wait until round two to, you know, and then that creates all kinds of crazy oscillations in terms of like, you know, they were the admissions officers were expecting this many people in round one, but now they're holding off. And so now it's going to be this huge avalanche in round two. So I, if they want to keep admissions officers happy, um, they will either have it all not that maybe they don't care but they will at least they maybe they will wait i would wait until after those sort of round two deadlines which would even be in january of next year personally because yeah, which is how interesting are you gonna... right because they have they had they did say it would be later this year yeah but then is it, so, how it becomes it, an yeah. apples to apples how do you then compare you know if you've got two product managers from amazon applying and they both went to the university of michigan engineering for undergrad and they both have 3.8 gpas and they're both product you know Although, and, and is that any different than if one took the gmat and one took the gre because at least with the gmat and gre i have some sort of a sense of mm -hmm. what those different scores mean but with this new score it could be you know bleep right. blop lorp and i'm like right. i don't know but that, that, hits, that hits no matter when they launch it so that's true but at least within one cohort yeah, you know, at one it cohort of applicants, it'll it be... would be smoother. Yeah, yeah. My guess, and, and I'm seeing a bunch of people saying, "Well, should I start?" And I want to apply round one. And what should I do? If you're planning to apply round one this year, I would not count on the timeline for when this new exam is going to come out. I would start your studies right now. If you would like to focus on the things that we know will be on both exams to start, and maybe in another month we'll have more information. But I would assume that you're going to take the old format if you're planning to apply round one. And then it's just a pleasant surprise if you end up having a choice. And just to add to all that, just ignore all the noise. If you're thinking about applying in this cycle, even if you're thinking round two, ignore the noise. Like Do what's in front of you. Prep for the exam as best you can. And, and don't worry about it. Because we, we can sit here and speculate on what 
GMAC will do or what we think they should do. And there's been enough unpredictability in, in GMAC's ability to roll things out over the years. And we can say, oh, it'll probably be in time for round two, but don't base any of your planning on it. If you want to apply in this current cycle, just do what you're doing. Ignore all this for now. And as soon as the new test is available, if you want to switch to it, great, you can do it then. But don't don't let it affect your planning, please, because I think that's just a recipe for stress if there's some sort of delay. And even as a reminder, some people are asking, for example, Brian just said here that he spent hours studying for sentence correction. I liked it too. So we we still have the option right when GMAT Focus Edition kicks off to take the current version of the test. So it's going to continue to be available in early 2024. So we're going to be able to choose between one or the other, at least or right both. in the beginning. Yeah, or both. Or both. And then you, you know, can exactly. submit whichever score you think looks looks better for you. Bryant, by the way, I love that you said you secretly love SC. That, that made my... That made my day. <laughs> and as a final question, guys, uh, before we end, before we finish the panel here, as a final question for you guys, what would be your main advice for people who are now preparing to take the GMAT? What should they do now considering all those upcoming changes? How should they behave? Ignore, ignore all this. Ignore it. Uh, lo lovely to have you here. Thank you for watching. Please like and subscribe. But ignore this. Don't worry about it. If you are already on the road, you're prepping, you're studying, things are going well, you love sentence correction, you're one of the four people on earth who love it. Um, great. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Keep doing your thing. Pay no attention to any of this. We don't know exactly when it's going to come out. We don't know the score scale. We don't know anything. You do you. Focus on what's in front of you. Ignore all this noise. Do not let it keep you up at night. Please, please, please. And you'll be fine. A hundred percent. As Marie was saying earlier, your if you're applying around one, especially applications are going to come out in like the May, June timeframe. Ideally, your exam is done before you start working on applications just because they're both full-time jobs. So keep moving forward with what you're doing. Get the score for whatever reason you don't like your score. By the time we get to that point, then maybe the new exam is out and it should be not too hard to then move yourself to the new version of the exam since it's a cut down version for the most part of the current exam. So it just gives you another option in that sense. But right now, keep your head down, keep going. You've got this, you can do this. Yeah, and, and I think to the point, to the extent also, I think if you're, if you're studying for the GMAT and you're doing well, you know, to Charles's earlier point about the psychological importance of the high GMAT scores, it is still, you know, it is still probably going to be the main thing that the ranking systems look at or that people focus on when they look at the rankings. And to the extent that that's still going to be important for at least another year, uh, I believe that schools like to throw scholarship money at people who help inch that average up. So if you are looking for a merit scholarship to the schools that give merit scholarships uh, and you're doing well on the GMAT, uh, take that GMAT and try to get a high score. And if you're not getting a high score, uh, check out GMAT Ninja and Manhattan Prep uh, for, for help and, and get those scores up because it, you know, it, you're only helping yourself by, by taking that, the standard, the gold standard test and doing well on it. And as a quick reminder, uh, because people always ask if 700 is a good score, 710, 720, it's all about you guys it's all about your own journey so it's all about how you present yourself your background your maria will be able to talk a lot better than me regarding that but it's about you and 
as a lawyer, I learned about how you put yourself into that. You got to sell <laughs> yourself. So Maria, if you have anything to add. Yeah, I, I just think all all GMATs, first of all, um, I have this, I, I refer to what I call the, the ad, adcom committee hierarchy of needs. And so mm -hmm. you have to show that you're smart enough that you're not going to flunk out and embarrass the school later by like not being very bright. Uh, but after a certain point, the more elite the school is, the more that admissions decision is going to start to hinge upon your leadership potential, uh, what you've done in the past and your accomplishments, and then how you communicate those accomplishments in the application. So. I've worked with people who have sub 700s who have gotten into some of the tippy top schools. Uh, but then it's like, you look at their resumes and they're like, oh, I work for this large electronics manufacturer and I launched their European division three years ago and it's a 300 mil. And you're like, okay, so you're getting into Stanford, check. Um, but but so, you know, not all of these scores are, are created equal. Similarly, if you are from an, a very overrepresented group and you've done well in your job and you've gotten promoted, but you're not like a star, then the score becomes that much more more important, right? If you think of it almost as kind of like a, a multi-dimensional balance balance beam or a, a set of scales, uh, if you're not particularly strong in one section, the stronger you are in another section, the more it can help balance that out. So if somebody says, is a 700 a good score? You, you need a lot more information beyond that uh, to, to know for sure. But you know, at the very base, you want to at least show that you're not going to flunk out of the program and that you're not going to be crying when you get that 8 a.m. cold call in accounting, that you're not going to break down in tears, that you are, in fact, going to, uh, to be able to muster some sort of a response in the moment. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, everyone who is watching us. I know it's late at night in some countries, really early in the morning in other. Uh, so thank you once again. Thank you, Maria, Stacy, and Charles. It has been a pleasure to be here with you guys. And if I can eventually be helpful to any of you, please feel free to reach out.